Well, we're going to start it off a um, little bit of a down note. Is that all right? If you said no, it doesn't matter. I'm still going to go. Um, you know what's one of the most sad things um, as a disciple here in the Hampton Roads Church is to watch one of your fellow brothers or sisters walk away from God. Yeah. Right? And I think for most of us, if we look back over the years, being a disciple of Christ, unfortunately, we've seen quite a few of our friends walk away from God. We've seen quite a few, perhaps even close friends. Friends that you've shared your life with. Friends that you've seen them struggle in life. You've been there. You've cried with them. You've celebrated birthdays with them. You were at their wedding. You were there when their children were born. We're so close here as the family of believers, aren't we, church? And I love that fact. I love it. It's an incredible blessing to be a part of the body of Christ. But at the same time, it really is a painful experience to watch your brother or sister walk away. And ultimately, we know as someone decides to walk away, it's from a selfish standpoint, right? It definitely hurts. But we see them walk away from Jesus. We see them reject Christ. We see them return back to a life of darkness and sin. Even after they have lived in the light, had fellowship in the light, fellowship with God, fellowship with us. Yet they reject Christ ultimately and return back to their sin. And unfortunately, this is not a rare thing. It's not as if this never happens or perhaps you can only think of one. I probably... I'm pretty confident that each one of us in here could probably list off four or five individuals. Perhaps even yourself at some point in time. Because being a disciple, being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus is not for everyone. Not everyone is willing to make the sacrifice. Not everyone is... Willing to live as Jesus lived. Because it's a high calling to be a disciple of Jesus. It's a high calling to literally walk in his footsteps. We're going to be reading in John chapter 6. Why don't we turn on over there? Told you it's going to be a little bit of a downer in the beginning. But we're going to to pick it up, alright? You know, previous to where we're going to be um, picking up. Jesus had fed... 5,000 men. You know, on the high end, people would guess that it could be as high as 20,000, perhaps even as low as 10,000, but definitely a lot of people that Jesus feeds with only a few loaves of bread and a few fish. After that, we see that obviously a lot of people want to hang around Jesus. You got a free meal, and on top of that, an incredible miracle. You got a show and food. And Jesus turns to them and basically talks and tells them who he is. And he says, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, all of a sudden, people are like, well, I prefer the bread and the fish, Jesus. And they're a little taken back. And here in verse 60, 
of John chapter 6 will pick up. It says, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yet, there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. We'll stop right there. Now here we see the people. They're grumbling about Jesus' teachings. They're grumbling about what Jesus has asked them to do, what Jesus has taught them. You know, and it's not just people, but these are the disciples of Jesus. These are the ones that followed him out into the wilderness and have listened to him preach, have been fed by him, have seen him do miracles. But yet, they ultimately reject Christ. That's the title for today's sermon, a rejected Christ. You know, and the reason why they walk away isn't just because of the idea that Jesus puts out there that you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. That really has nothing to do with it. But in fact, it's because he says, I am the only way to the Father. Not only that, but he says, guess what, guys, I'm going to bring it one more level up. What if you saw me going back up into heaven? Meaning that I was there before. I am God. I am the Spirit. What I speak is the Spirit and brings life. Not your culture, not what you've grown up on, not the sacrificial Jewish system. But in fact, it is me and only me. And the way that you've been raised, in fact, is going to lead to death. So Jesus basically looks at them and says, everything that you know, everything that you are is wrong. And one level up, I'm God and you need to listen to me. You know, the message becomes clear. The message becomes clear who Jesus is, that he is the bread of life from heaven. His words are the only way to life. And there is no other way. You know, today the gospel is. Unfortunately, um, has been pushed and stretched and watered down. When we look out. We see a watered down gospel, a watered down teaching of Christ. And here, that's what the people wanted. 
They didn't want the real truth. They didn't want the real gospel. They didn't really want to follow Christ. They just wanted to be fed and see a show. You know what's seen here? What, what we have that we read about on these, in, in these pages is a fraudulent faith. We see a fraudulent faith. We see people that are following Jesus, but didn't actually want to become followers of Jesus. Fraudulent faith today is still, unfortunately, alive and well. That we carry the, perhaps the banner of Christian, we wave the Christian flag, we even defend Christianity, defend our Christian views, even get upset perhaps about the way society is going and saying it's going down the tubes. We need to really bring it back to the core values of Christ. But yet if you were to look at your life, it doesn't match up to that of Christ. No, being a Christian is not the same as being a disciple of Christ. Now, for many of us, this is a familiar teaching that the idea of disciple and Christian are one and the same. It's not a two tiered system. Right. One and the same. Come on, that we can't have a choosy gospel view. Right. We can't pick and choose what we want. It's all or nothing. We use the name of Jesus. We got to claim the life of Jesus. Amen, church. Fraudulent faith, if you were to strip it all down, is just a rejected Christ. A rejection of who Jesus is. You know, Francis Chan writes, I normally don't read books on stage, but amen. First time for everything, right? Except for the Bible. Um, in Crazy Love, it says, Some people claim that we can be Christians without necessarily becoming disciples. I wonder then why the last thing Jesus told us was to go into the world, making disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that he commanded. You'll notice that he didn't add, but hey, if that's too much to ask, Tell them to just, you know, become Christians. You know, the people who get to go to heaven without having to commit anything. Being a disciple, being a Christian is a difficult call. It's a difficult call to follow Jesus, but it is all or nothing. Let's go to Mark chapter 4. As it says here that, as we just read in John chapter 6, that Jesus knew the hearts of the people. And Jesus knows, I'm at Luke. Jesus knows the hearts of us. He knows our hearts. And he talks about this quite a bit as far as us coming to him, wanting to follow him. But yet we struggle with that. We truly struggle with following him 100%. Let's go to verse 16. Jesus is speaking here. He says, others, like the seed sown on rocky places, here he's 
Talking about the parable of the sower, all the seeds being spread all at one time, equal by God, by the sower himself. But this one is on rocky places. Hear the word and at once receive it with joy. (coughs) But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. We'll stop right there. We see that there's a joy in following Jesus, but yet as time passes, that joy fades. Their commitment begins to shrink back. And as a disciple, as a Christian, we have joy. There's great joy in following Jesus. But yet we see that Jesus knows the way that our heart works. And that we can quickly fall away. That we quickly can turn back when it becomes difficult. He knows our hearts. You look at just the divorce rate. You look at diets. We, people give up all the time. Yeah. When life becomes difficult, it is no different for our walk with Jesus. But it is, an, it is impossible to be a disciple for only a short time. It's commitment for life. Commitment to heaven. If you're not committed until the end, then don't do it. It's a waste of your time. You've got a call to follow Jesus. A disciple is to put your faith in him. To turn away from your sin and obey everything that he commands. For us in the fellowship, we can walk away from Jesus but still sit here. We can walk away from Jesus and still come every week, still read our Bibles, still pray, perhaps even share our faith. But yet in our hearts, we've walked away from God. We've turned away from the commands that he has given us. We've turned away from his teachings. Amen. You know, and this is an exposing passage yeah. for all of us who hold the title of Christian. Yeah. For all of us who hold the title of disciple. Church, where are you at when following Jesus? Where are you at in your discipleship? Where are you at in being a true Christian? Have you rejected Christ? If it's not everything, I'll answer it for you. Yes, you have rejected Christ. Unless it's all or nothing. You know, when in both these passages that we read in Mark and in John chapter 6, time is what ebbs away their discipleship. That Jesus' words are exciting at first. Awesome. Life changing. Right? Right? You're excited to get your life on track. But then when life hits, it becomes real. It becomes real when you're like, this is what I got to do every day. I'm going to be real with the church. I don't like sharing my face. 
Is that okay? I'm, I'm, like, I know I'm, I'm an evangelist, and you're just like, what? I do it, okay? I don't like it. I, I freak out when I'm talking to new people. It's just one of those fears that I have. That I'm just like, I'm like, I just, literally sometimes I look at, I'm like, hey, how are you? And I am not kidding. There's nothing. And I'm like, church. Want to come to church? I work there. As if that's somehow going to win them over. Like, oh, you work there? Man, I want to go now. But as time goes on, it's difficult. It's challenging. I don't want to push myself anymore. I don't want to do it. Been a disciple for 20 years and I still don't want to do it. Let's talk about giving. I don't want to give. I'm talking financially. I'll give all my time in the world. I do my own taxes every year. Worst thing when I have to add up because I do write it off. Amen. I'm okay with that. Government wants to give me money. Go ahead. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get my money. But I write off all my contribution and I gotta add it all up. I don't like that number. I look at that number sometimes. I'm like, man, over the years, that's a nice down payment for a beach house. I'm like, I mean, seriously, you add it all up, and if you've been a disciple for 20 years, you're just like. That's a lot of money. Could have a mortgage paid off. It's difficult. It's challenging over time. Giving once, easy. Giving for 20 plus years, 25, 30, 45, 50, 70 years. Following Jesus over time is difficult. Those are just kind of surface level things, honestly. Even get down deeper to the heart level of who you are in your character. Over time, we can lower our standard of what it is to be a Christian. Let's go back to John chapter 6. Amen, church? By the way, if you see me not put anything in the basket... Um, don't, don't, don't disciple me. I give, um, online. So I know I just put it out there for you guys. I struggle with it. You guys are going to be watching me next Sunday. Like, mm, mm. Jeff, what are you doing over there? Like, I'm going to hold you, um, accountable for that one. So yeah, just, just want to let you guys know that. To put like a little piece of paper in there or something. I gave. <laughs> and as my mom says, I do share my faith. I do. I, do. I push through and have really awkward moments. But amen for Jesus. All right. Verse 66. We're back, right? It says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to 
believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus said, have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is the devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon um, Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. Now Jesus turns to his twelve and basically throws it out there and says, hey, everybody else is leaving. Do you guys want to go too? I love Peter's response. Amen. To whom shall we go? Yeah. Peter then goes on and, and says, hey, we believe that you are the son of God, that you have the words to eternal life and that we've seen too much, Jesus, to go back. We've seen too much to go anywhere else. Where else can we go? You know, um, on Friday, I had lunch with a dear friend of mine, um, Marcel Horton. And the Hortons recently uh, lost their first child. And, um, you know, we've been getting together, talking it through. and um, He's sitting there, and I think like any of us in this room would be having some big questions and doubts about who God is. And about his sovereignty. And about if God really loves me, if God really cares about me, why would this happen? And the conclusion that Marcel came to, he's, he looked at me and he said, I've seen too much. I've seen God work in my life and other people's lives. I can't explain this. I don't know why it happened. I don't like it. But I know that there's a God because I can't explain. I mean, he said, because I've seen too much for us as disciples. Whenever we are challenged by the call of being a true Christian, what keeps us faithful is we look around and we say, I've seen too much. I've seen God work. I've seen the power of his word work, not only in our lives, but in those Around us here in the fellowship. You know, when challenges, they do come, don't they? Just normal challenges of life. But also the challenges of a um, attractive false doctrine. The health and wealth gospel, which honestly, I think is kind of a played out term, isn't it? When you get down to the root of it, it's basically God owes me something because I've been serving you. And when that doesn't happen... You get frustrated and it ends up leading to nothing. It's a watered down discipleship. You know, false doctrine, we can turn to it because when you look at Jesus's words, they're difficult to actually handle and to swallow. His view on the world, his view on sin, his view on homosexuality, sexual purity, your job, your prosperity, the mission, baptism, and a few will only be saved. When we look out, false doctrine looks pretty sweet. Looks pretty nice. Looks pretty comfortable. Another challenge that we can face over time as Christians is that what Jesus calls us to give up will somehow rob you of something better. 
that will rob you of some sort of happiness, some sort of pleasure. That we look around at the world and we say, I want that. That looks good. But yet, we'll end up empty. Perhaps it's the priorities that we have in our lives. That we worship the idol of our job. Of our hobby. Video games. Free time. You fill in the blank. The problem is that we don't see our need for Jesus. We don't actually adhere to the supremacy of Christ. That where else can we go? That Jesus is the only way to eternal life. And that Jesus calls us to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus and obey everything. These challenges challenge our faith. They put our faith up on trial, whether it's fraudulent or genuine faith. But the encouraging thing, church, is that the 12th day. Not everybody leaves. Not everybody leaves, right? That's good news. That tells me that there's hope. Challenges may come, but not everybody falters. Not everybody withers. Some stay faithful to Christ. They had the same teachings, the same callings, the same challenges, if not more. And they still stayed. Why? Because they knew Jesus. They knew who Jesus was. They were with him. They heard the off the wall things in their minds that Jesus was telling them to do. But yet they knew him and they trusted him. There's a lot in Peter's response purely in the phrasing of the Holy One of God. He he says, Jesus, you're the Holy One of God. And we really see that phrase from um, Isaiah chapter 6. That the book of, you you guys don't have to turn there. The book of Isaiah is, it's chock full of this idea of holiness. And that Isaiah himself is overwhelmed with the holiness of God. And what he decides is what defines God is his holiness. And Peter's response is, God, Jesus, you are the holy one. You are the true God, the true Messiah, the true Christ. You know, when an um, intern at your job, no offense, intern, um, tells you to do something. You may listen. Right? Perhaps you're in the Navy and it's like a lower ranking individual tells you to do something. You may listen. But when your CEO or your boss tells you to do something, you do it. Why? Because they have the title and the power. For Peter, he says, you're the Holy One of God. You have the title. You have the power. I'm going to listen. We serve the same Jesus, the Holy One of God, Amen. the one holding the power. And we need to listen. We need to see Jesus for who he is. He is God and he is the only way to salvation that we need to reject everything. Anything else that stands in the way and pursue Christ. You know, it is difficult to stay pure. 
It is difficult to give a tithe every week and add it up. And to own that little awkward moment of sharing. But Jesus is the Holy One. He is worth pushing through it. Because He is the only way. You know, I got a prenuptial um, agreement here. Not mine. Um, I could hear it. Um, he doesn't like to share his faith or give, and he's a prenup. What am I doing here? All right. You just Google sample prenup agreement. There's all kinds of PDFs. You just plug a name in, makes it for you. It's kind of it's kind of weird, uh, kind of scary um, that it's that easy. But you know, for I think all of us know what a prenup is: is that you basically um, decide how to divide up everything in the case that your marriage, as it says here, is terminated. So the parties intended to marry each other on give a date. In advance of their marriage, the parties wish to provide for their rights individually and obligations in and to each other's assets and property, including that which each of the parties currently and separately own. That which each will acquire separately during the marriage that will uh, that which both will um, acquire during the marriage in the event the marriage is terminated. And then there's eight pages of different legalese that we will not go through because it is massively confusing. And this is just a sample and there's lines in there to add personal things. If you notice in there, the big kind of trend in that is personal, me, mine. But what this is, this is a way out. Imagine on your wedding day, till death do us part unless it gets challenging. Unless I get frustrated with you. Unless my sin gets in the way. Unless you just start to bother me. Unless I find somebody better. Then I'll stay with you. That's all this document is. But we can bring a prenup to God. I'm willing to be a disciple. As long as it's not too hard. As long as over time, I still enjoy it. I still like it. We're still getting along. I'm on the same page. You're on the same page. We're loving life. There's no prenuptial agreement with Jesus. It's all in. You're not able to walk away from that one. It won't count. There's nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else to go because we know that our flesh, our choices lead to our death. What we have pursued, what we have gone after leads to our death. But yet we have a God, a Christ who offers forgiveness and eternal life. A work without return as far as us giving to him that we will never earn it. In fact, all that we've earned is death. That's the Holy One of Christ. That is the Holy One of God. That is the one that we should not reject, church. Because we know that He is the one and the only one to offer salvation. When He asks you to jump, you say, What? How high? 
He asks you to be a disciple, and we say, Amen, the rest of my life. How long? Right? Because he is not an intern. He is the CEO, owner of all the companies, the Holy One of God. So this week, church, I want you to think about this one question. Have I rejected Christ? Or the, the other side of that question is, or am I currently rejecting Christ? Has my discipleship dropped, eroded away over time in any form of fashion? I want you to look at your life this week. Think through it. Think through your commitment to Jesus. Think through whether or not you have rejected Christ or rejected the world. Rejected your own desires. And that you have embraced Jesus. And I don't want you just to, just to find out if you have. But then do something about it. Amen? Get that back on track. And if you're, tell, and if, if you're asking yourself, well, Jeff, I don't even know how to do that. Talk to somebody here. Ask them to open up the Bible with you. Even if you've been a disciple for 20 years, talk to somebody and say, hey, this is what's going on in my life. Can you help me out? So this week, church, let's look at our lives, figure out have I rejected Christ. Thank you.